0: Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. My friends, let us prepare our hearts to hear God's truth through the preaching of his holy word, which begins with prayer. Let us pray together. Oh, beloved Father, we are here ready to submit to you, to walk in your ways to pray that you will continue to lead and guide us in the ways of righteousness, awaken us. Bring forth the fire of your holy spirit on our way to eternal life in your kingdom in Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. there's, there's a story that's been around that I want to share with you. It happened to a pastor who was preaching a service and after the worship service a woman approached him immediately after the service while he was in the back and made an eye-opening confession to him. And this is it. She started by stating that she had recently asked her husband of over 20 years to leave, to leave their home due to unrepented and unconfessed Problems with pornography, with pornography. He goes on to say that her twenty-year-old son, who lived in another state, who lives in another state, called her last week and told her that he was gay. And then he she goes on to say that her her 16-year-old daughter, who has been going through counseling for some time now for cutting and self-mutilation. This was all a result of her daughter being habitually attracted to some very explicit cyber sex sites. All this had just come upon her and had has begun to overwhelm her. This was an overwhelming secret in her life. And she just didn't know how to handle it anymore. She just didn't know how to handle the shame and the guilt and the feelings of being, of just having everything out of control in her life. She didn't know what to do. Welcome to the to life in the twenty first century. Yes, uh, welcome to what has become the norm in our churches today. As author and pastor John Freeman tells us, and he's right. That is the reality of our situation of our over sexualized, no holes barred culture that we're living in today Uh, the combination of our fallenness our fallen hearts along with a broken world that likes to that embraces that along with the evil one and his minions who will attack that that's what we're up against that's what's being exploited in our lives today So here's the great lie, that is the great lie of our society today as it pertains to moral standards, the moral standards of sexuality in our our society today. Many people, if not most people, treat adultery and fornication, sex outside the marriage bed, as a joke. TV shows, movies, commercials use clothing styles to promote sexual lust. Government policies uh, regarding sexuality assume that everybody who is 18 years old or older are sexually active. Society's answer to the problem of sexual immorality, such as teen pregnancies and the transmission of sexually transmitted diseases, including AIDS, their answer is not fidelity, faithfulness within marriage or even abstinence. Society's answer to the problem of sexuality in our society is safe sex, or condom, condom distribution. That's their answer. That's how we answer the problem. And they've tried that. They've been trying it for years now. A sobering look at the problem of sexuality in our culture reveals that millions upon millions of people spent 11 to 12 hours per week looking at Internet pornography, 11 to 12 hours per week. Pornography uses now accounts for two out of three divorces. One out of three visitors to adult sex sites are women. in the 1.4 billion dollar romance novel industry pornography is increasingly being used among our children ages eight to sixteen ninety percent have viewed pornography on the internet eighty percent of our children from the ages of 15 to 17 years of age have viewed hardcore pornography multiple times. That's the dark secret of our society. So then is sexual integrity possible when we're being bombarded with so much obscenity is sexual integrity possible. Is it possible? Or rather the question should be, are you living a lie? Are you living a lie? Which is the answer to most people. Well, what does that mean? It means that there's a dark side to you. There's a dark side that no one knows about, a dark side that you have been even able to keep hidden from those who know you best. This is the problem that our Lord is addressing. It's a problem that our Lord is addressing today in our passage. My beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a tough passage, and there's, not many of us here to hear this and 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 because it is such a dark secret. And because there's so many of us, so many people that we love living a lie. But our Lord does not shy away or avoid sinful problems. He does not shy away or avoid any, any sinful problems. You know what he does? He exploits them. He exploits them. He gets right in the middle of those sinful problems, especially if you're Christian, especially if you belong to him. He gets right in the middle of those sinful problems where he needs to be. That is where he needs to be. Why? Because he can help. Because he can bring them to an end. He can bring them to an end. Today, our Lord is addressing a very sensitive subject, a very delicate topic that people would just rather avoid. Let us not talk about that. Manny, why can't we just skip this, these few verses? They're just a few verses, 17 to what, what was it, just a few, what, 27 to 30. Let's just kind of jump this and go to the next topic. Oh, no, let's skip that one, too. I mean, he has been hitting this hard. When our our Lord was preaching his sermon, he, the people there must have been just melting in their seats. They didn't have seats, they were probably seated on the ground. They were just melting away, thinking that he's read all their letters, all their secret diaries. He knew them. The critical issue of our passage drills down deep into the condition of our hearts. Jesus Christ has elsewhere told us that out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, and so forth, out of the heart. Our Lord begins by addressing the depth of sin in our hearts. That's how he starts off. Our hearts are in the fallen condition of sin. You see, sin, sin is like a disease. It's like cancer. It's killing us. It's killing us. Some people would say we're already dead. The symptoms of sin are not merely external. And the what are this uh, external symptoms of sin? Especially in, in in the passage we're talking about, we're talking about adultery, pornography. Those are these are the external things, symptoms of sin. But it's not the external that's killing you. It's what's on the inside. It's what's in the heart. It is with the condition of your heart. It's not even if you keep the symptoms hidden away. In your lustful desires. No one knows that. It's just in your mind. It's a it's thinking, it's a thought that no one knows about except Christ. Even that is a symptom of a bigger problem of the condition of our hearts. That's what that's what Christ is getting at today. He starts off by mentioning the seventh commandment: you shall not commit adultery. Well, last week we talked about the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Well, today our Lord hits the letter of the law and gives us details. He goes into more details about the letter of the law. You should not commit adultery. That's where he starts and he goes into the. The, continues to go into the letter of the law and how the letter of the law is violated by us. Our Lord talks about how adultery can be committed, not just through external uh, external deeds and actions. He then goes into our mindset, our thoughts and how we can violate that commandment, that law internally with sexual lust. Theologian and author uh, R.C. Sproul is qu- is quoted as saying, "We are not, or you are not. Uh, you are not. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners." I'll repeat it: We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are. Sinners. Basically, what he is doing is interpreting this passage, he's interpreting Holy Scripture. He's telling us that sin is embedded, embedded in our fallen nature. Our fallen nature is sinful. We sin because we're sinners. The entirety of humanity, of the human race, is totally deprived. What does that mean? It means that we have a sinful nature that affects every every part of our of, of us. It affects every part of us. Every part. Not just sexual immorality. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. So the question then is, how, where did this come from? Why do we have a sinful nature? Why do we have a sinful nature? Well, we inherited our sinful nature from Adam. Romans 5.12 Romans 5, tells us that sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people. Came through one man, Adam. Interesting, he doesn't mention Eve, but he says one man, through the one man Adam. Every child child that you know also has a sinful nature. They're not excluded. Uh, Proverbs 22, 15 says, folly is bound up in the hearts of our children. Folly, foolishness, is bound up in the hearts of our child or ch- our children. King David wrote, surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Psalm 51, five. In Psalm 58.3, it says, even from birth, the wicked go astray. From the womb, they are wayward, spreading lies. Ephesians 2, 3 makes it abundantly clear by saying, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Whose wrath? Wrath. Whose wrath? The wrath of God, like the rest of mankind. That brings us to the severity. That's the depth of sin. Now we're going to the severity of sin, the the severity of of our sin. Uh, it, It is so severe. Sin is so severe that if we do not deal with it, we will be thrown into the fires of hell. If we do not deal with sin, we will be thrown into the fires of hell. The word used in our text is gahana, gahana, The Gahana is the abode of the damned. The abode of the damned. During his sermon, Jesus' sermon on the mount, our Lord speaks about sin. He says something that certainly captured his audience's attention as it captures our attention today. Christ says that if your right eye causes you to sin, you must what gouge it out, pluck it out, tear it out and throw it away. And he goes on to say if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. Now Obviously, our Lord is using hyperbole. He's using hyperbole, he's using exaggerations to express the severity of sin. He's not really wanting you to poke your, gouge your eye out. But he's trying to to prove his point. He's trying to make his point on the severity of sin and how deadly it is and how it condemns Those who are involved in it to eternal damnation. If you do not deal with it. Here now we're addressing the uh, lustful intent. The lustful intent. the, The intentions of sin in our minds, in our hearts. Jesus is telling us that adultery begins both in the heart and in the eyes, in the mind. The heart moves, the eyes move, to inflame the passions, and then we act on it. It starts with the mind. It starts with the thought. It starts, it starts with the, in our hearts, like he talks about. Adultery just does not just happen. Adultery is committed when the body follows the heart. And then the act, the deed is done. It's hard to believe that, golly, Manny, if, Pastor Manny, if you, I know I was thinking about that the other day, but I didn't do anything about it. I didn't take action. It's hard to believe that Jesus is now telling us, and he's told us, and God's word tells us, that you have sinned, you've already committed to sin. That is not a door for you to go ahead and finish. It is the door for you to stop and repent. That's why Job in the Old Testament says that he made a covenant with his eyes not to look lustfully at women. Now, why did he do that? Well, because sinful temptation, sinful temptations will come and will go. Sinful temptations will come and will go. When Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, gouge it out. He is basically saying, don't look. Don't look. If if your right eye causes you to, to commit spiritual lustful adultery, turn away. Don't look. The interesting thing is he also brings a right hand. If you're right hand, you can imagine what many people have thought about that. Think about when people are pacifying their lust, what they use their right hand for. But it's more than that. It It also is telling us, don't act upon it. Don't act upon your sinful lust. He's saying, cut your hand off. But see, he, Christ uses a hyperbole. He's using this hyperbole for a reason. He's telling us that what we need to do is put sin to death. Put sin to death in our lives to mar- mortify sin. Put it to death. It's like what it says in Romans 8, 13 and 14. It says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But If by the the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. You must mortify by the power of the Holy Spirit, sin, sin in our lives, lustful sin. We must put it to death by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Put it to death. How can you put to death sin? Well, the the put to death means that you don't, you don't, you just don't allow it to to linger or you don't allow it to just kind of, what does a fire do? It just kind of smolders for a while, just kind of keeps going. You just kind of turn away and leave it alone. No, you have to stomp it out. You have to kill it. So how do you do that? Well, you start by, first of all, recognizing for what it is. Recognize that it's a sin. And then repent, turn away from it. Call upon the Lord to to tell him, I can't handle this. I need your grace to turn away from it, to put it to death. And then stomp it out. Take whatever precautions you need to to make sure it's dead. Put filters on your computer. Dude, call a, a a godly friend to, to be to, to help to help you walk through times like these. Call your pastor. Put it to death. Make sure it's over and dead. And then continue to turn away. Continue to turn away when temptation lingers. You know, temptation is is all over the place. It, it, it's all over the place. Martin Luther, Martin Luther says that temptation is like the birds that are flying in the air. It's always they're, they're always there. And he says, it's okay if they're flying in the air, but don't let them nest on your hair. Don't let them do that. Guys, temptation surrounds us. It's all over this world. And we just talked about all the all the uh, the sexual sins that were committed by all of us, including our children. We recognize it, we put it to an end, we put it to We we recognize, I have a problem with this, I have a problem with that, and I'm going to take steps now to kill it, mortify it, pluck it out, cut it off. Those are some serious actions, serious steps taken to be obedient to the Lord, and that's what he wants you to do. That's what he calls us to do, and he wouldn't call us without giving us the grace to do it, without being with us, to walk with us, to help us accomplish it. Don't just say, I can't do anything about it, it's just too much, and I do nothing. That's not believing in the power of God. So now, this brings us to the remedy the remedy to this disease called sin that can and will kill us. There is hope for the hopeless, and some of us feel hopeless. Our hope is in Christ. Jesus Christ is the only remedy. the disease of sin that is killing each one of us receive him and live you've done that you've done that you're going to live but now you're living in the process of sanctification this process of being made holy don't let the birds nest in your hair you remember the old story test the the old story the Old Testament the story of the Old Testament about King David and Bathsheba. Remember that story. When did King David sin? Was it when he went out that night just to take a little stroll on his roof, the roof of his mansion, his palace? What, did he sin by doing that? No, he didn't sin by doing that. He was relaxing. Well, did he sin? But he noticed that Bathsheba was in a rooftop bathing entirely nude. Was that when he sinned? And we would clearly call that if he was tempted by it, at temptation. Okay. But when did he sin? When he acted upon the sinful lust in his heart. And commanded his servants to I would desire her physically and commanded his servants to go bring her to him. I mean, that's that's when he crossed the line. We've in the past asked when what uh, what should he have done? Well, he should have just gone back inside. He should have turned away, and he should have sent a, a one of his kingsmen to say, Don't do that, Bathsheba. I mean, there's a lot of things he could have done, but he didn't. He did sin. He committed, he he's he's. He committed sin in his heart, and then that involved eventually committing sin with a deed, the deeds of sin. And then that caused many other sins. This is a tough, tough, tough passage, and what we need to remember, what we need to know is, and what we never need to forget, is sex is a gift from God himself. Sex is a gift from God himself. The Lord blesses the married couple, married couple with intimacy with one another in sex to become one flesh and multiply, just like he says. Sex is a beautiful thing for a married couple. Beautiful and should not be denied and should not be ignored. Sexual immorality reveals our need for grace, God's grace. In the difficulty of a passage like this, what do we need to hear? Well, what do you need to hear? Well, you need to hear a story, the story about Michelangelo. Michelangelo, you remember Michelangelo's story uh, what he of the statue that he created, or he made the statue of David, King David. Remember that story. When when Michelangelo was commissioned to build this statue, he went out to the dump, to 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 the dump yard. He went out to a, to an area where where there was trash, where 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 people the junkyard where there were pe- discarded pieces of marble, marble, that, that other sculptors had thrown away. And he found a piece, a piece of rock that had been there. It was all scarred up and marked up and been there for, they say, probably over 40 years. And he sees this piece of rock that had been dumped in the junkyard with junk all over it, and scratches and marks, and did just a piece, just a piece of rock. And he looks at it, and his master craftsman eyes envisions what his hands could do with that rock. So he brings it to his studio and makes the statue of David. This beautiful statue of David. He creates a beautiful piece of art from the from dump, from a rock, from something that was torn up, scarred up, carved up. Isn't that the way God works in your life as a Christian? Our Lord takes a broken, damaged life. He takes our broken, he takes your broken and damaged heart and damaged desires and with his with his divine master craftsman hands he reshapes you into a piece of art our lord takes the parts of our life story that the, the parts that bring us the most shame and makes it into a beautiful thing beautiful so beautiful that it reflects him the beauty of who he is that's what he does with you that's what he does with our lives as we walk through this process of being made holy that's what it means to receive jesus christ as our lord and savior not only does he save us He rebuilds us. He rebuilds you into a beautiful piece of art that reflects him. And it is in him that we rejoice. Let us pray. Gracious Father. You've been listening to Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching his word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.